We are so grateful that you guys are here, and uh, today we are beginning a new series called Women in the Bible. And uh, it was a series that we were hoping to start two weeks ago, uh, but due to the devastation in uh, the Van Zandt County and Henderson County and Emory, uh, you know, Raines County areas, we uh, elected to kind of push it back. And uh, we're grateful that we did. Uh, unfortunately, the, the deal is, is that we're going to talk today about the ideal woman. And so the ideal woman is a woman that you will see in Proverbs 31. Now here's the challenge, is we're talking about the ideal woman on Mother's Day. And I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse. <laughs> so we want you to know that as we dive in today to this series, we are setting the bar for what this series should mean. That every woman that seems to be a virtuous woman that we'll discover over the recent weeks are women who would fit into the category of Proverbs 31. And we're going to notice here in just a minute what that means. But the deal is, is that you guys in here uh, should know that today's message will not be merely for moms, but it will also be for husbands. It will be for everyone in this room if you will listen carefully. And so I, I pray that God uses this, this chapter to remind us, but also for some of us to gently admonish, even warn us, to get back to what God wants us to be as mothers, as wives, but also as husbands, to trust in our wives and to allow them to do the work of ministry the way that God designed them to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, being a mom can be tough. And so let me just tell you a story uh, that kind of reminds me of motherhood. Um, in our house, almost every night, uh, what you, ha you have is uh, chocolate milk before bedtime, a, a really bad tradition that was started many years ago and uh, with our first son. And so Brady's seven now, and it is every night. It goes just like this. They get in bed. And they are in bed. We have, we have read a little Bible story or a book of their choice. We have prayed together. And this is every night. And uh, then we get them all nestled in bed, and you hear it. Mom! Kelly says, what? I need a glass of chocolate milk. No. Go to bed. Five minutes later, it sounds like they're all snuggled in tight. Mom! What? Can I just get one glass of chocolate milk? Mom, just like a sip. Just, I just like, just, a, just something. I'm so thirsty. No, your window has come and gone. It closed a long time ago. Roll over, quit talking, go to bed. Seven minutes goes by. Mom! Kelly at that point is looking at me. And it means either you go in there or I'm going to. And then she belts out, if you don't roll over, go to bed, I'm going to come in there and you're going to get a spanking. That's the end of it, right? Eight minutes later. Mom, when you come in here to spank me, will you bring me some chocolate milk? Now, how many of y'all can relate? Yes, amen. And so, if you can relate or have related in the past, we are speaking to you today. 
And my prayer is that God would allow you to see this standard of godly living and that he would remind you that all of your efforts are not in vain and that they're all worth it. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31 as we dive into a marvelous text which sets a high bar and a very, very daunting aspiration. But it's one that God has called women to. And I pray that you and I would heed these words. Now, in verse 1, it starts out, and it literally just says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. This Proverbs 31 chapter is an oracle that was, in a sense, aspired by a mom who loved her son. Now, King Lemuel obviously at some point was a prince, and his mother gave him some words. And those words were words of wisdom. That's what a proverb is. A proverb are words of wisdom that you and I can use to correlate to our own life. Now, King Lemuel is a guy that we don't necessarily know who he is. He's only mentioned one time in all the scriptures, and it's in Proverbs 31. But I'll tell you, though, there's a several different options. I think one of two are probably the most probable. One of them is that King Lemuel is actually King Solomon. King Solomon uh, literally uh, would mean that it would a word that was signified to be like devoted to God, or that was what his word name would be. But then the idea of Lemuel is actually an endearing term. It's an honorable term, which would be beloved of the Lord. It would almost be like a nickname, per se. So, for instance, if your name is Timothy, your mom would call you Timmy. Uh, in this case, it was Solomon, and maybe his call- mom called him Lemuel, right? <laughs> now, doesn't that sound enduring? Hey, Lemuel, come here, baby. But it literally just meant beloved of the Lord. It, that's what the idea of the word means. And so it was an endearing term, one of which she most likely used of Solomon. If you go, I don't know that I really like that theory. Here's another theory that many commentators suggest, and that was that Lemuel would have been a king in, a, in, a, in an area or a province nearby and that he most likely would have had a Jewish mother, a mother that loved him and wanted him to have great success in the eyes of the Lord, although he himself was not an Israelite. Either one of those theories are, are not to be thrown out. I happen to, to believe, and I would probably lean on more of the side of most commentators to say that I think Lemuel was an endearing term to King Solomon. We don't know, and ultimately it doesn't change the course of this text, but what we do know is a mother wrote to her son who was going to be a king. And she gave him some instructions. And ultimately, the instructions are really three to fourfold. Number one, you'll see in verses four and five that she's going to say, you need to be careful about the women that you hang around. Then you're going to look at verses eight and nine, and you're going to be, you need to be careful about the things that you put in your mouth, the substances that you choose to use. Then you're going to look at, um, I'm sorry, verses four is going to be, um, the, the drink, and then verse 3 is going to be about the women. And then verses 8 and 9, you're going to have to be careful about who you defend and what your cause is as a king. And so let's look at them real quickly. Verse 3 says, Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. In a sense, what his mother is saying is, is that you need to understand that there are many different types of women. There are women who are not in it for the right reasons. And ultimately, those are women that you would define as women of folly, madam folly. Those are ones that want to entice or potentially lead people astray. 
those are the ones who, in a sense, Proverbs 2, 16 through 18 identify. And it literally just says that God would deliver you from strange women. That's a pagan or a foreign woman, meaning that their hearts are not prone to love the Lord. From the adulteress who flatters with her words, who leaves the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to the earth and her tracks lead to the dead. So you can have a woman who, in a sense, is an adulterous woman who wants to entice men and lead them astray. Catch this. This woman is one who will leave the, the husband of her youth, and she will entice and snare and try to lead men astray. It is the idea of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6, who she is shameless about her sin. It is the idea of Proverbs 5, 6, 9, 13, who she gives no thought to her own fate. She is one in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 10. She dresses seductively. She sees her body as something to be won. Verse seven, or chapter 7, verses 16 through 17. She uses her bed, her linens, her coverings, her spices, her perfumes as a way to seduce and be seductive towards men. She wants to satiate her victim with a, with a love that seems to come and go. She is Proverbs 30 20. She is a woman that is adulterous who will literally say this. She eats and she wipes her mouth and then she says, I have done no wrong. She is not the woman that you want your son to marry. And so this, this mother who endears her son says, be careful about the woman that you allow in your presence as a king. Because kings can be seduced easily. Kings have influence, and if you think about this, this potentially is the woman that was seduced by a King David. David, as he overlooks where he should have been in battle with his men, where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing, seduces and ultimately goes after a woman named Bathsheba who was married to another man. It ultimately causes him to one day cover it up, leads to his death, his murder, in all of the lies in which he would live in for a year before you finally get the declaration of Psalm 51 in which he says, return to me the joy of your salvation, O God. He repents and he says, create in me a pure heart. If this happens to be King Solomon's mother, you need to know who this is. This is a woman who knows what Madam Folly might look like. And she says, don't allow that into your life. Verse 4 says, and oh, is it not for kings, O Lemuel, is it not for kings to drink wine? Or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted? Isn't it something that you oftentimes see within the political realm, but also within kings, that they would have great-looking women and lots of strong drink? Honestly, in our culture, isn't that oftentimes the pride of man? That we say, hey man, go get you a beautiful woman, and hey, let's drink the night away. And we love the idea of seduction. We love the idea of a strong appetite. We love the idea in our culture of this type of influence. The problem is, is that James 1 says that when sin is birthed and conceived in us, it leads to temptation, and then not only temptation, but that temptation, when finally bitten, leads to death. And what you have is devastation, you have strongholds, you have destruction, you have families being ripped apart. And how does it happen? It happens by adulterous women, strong drink, substances that we don't need, that don't honor the Lord. And so here it is. This mama who endears her son says, stay away from two things. Then she doesn't just say, stay away from women and strong drink, but do this. And then she says this, what? 
Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. She says, don't forget why you're the king. Don't forget why God has put you in a power and position of authority, and that is to judge rightly and to rule fairly. Don't forget the the people who can't speak for themselves on the rights of their own intentions. You speak for them. You, You speak up because you have the authority to do so, but you will miss the mark if you got your eyes on the prize of an adulterous woman or if you constantly got your eyes on drinking your sorrows away. You'll miss the opportunity to judge fairly and to govern rightly. And so she says, be warned of that. And then she asks this other question. So she says, you need to be careful about your women. You need to be careful about your substances. You need to be careful to judge rightly. But then be careful about this wife that you ultimately find. And in verse 10, she sets up this question, an excellent wife who can find. She is more precious than jewels. And there it is. He says, to find the woman that I'm talking about, Lemuel, is going to be a hard find. It's going to be something that happens rarely. Think about it like as a family. If you ever gone on kind of a little excursion and you're like, hey, we're going to go and go to one of these mining uh, opportunities and we're going to take our kids and we're going to sift and excavate through sand and we're just hoping to find one little chunk of gold. We're hoping to maybe sometime just come across one of those rare finds. And we dig 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 and our kids love it because they're covered in dirt. But at the end of the day, you look up and you go, we got nothing. We just paid them money to dig in the dirt for nothing. But what happens when you find that one rare choice one? Like what you celebrate, right? And he goes, that's what it looks like to find a good woman. This writer here who remind, is reminded of the words of his mother says, that woman is a rare find. She is a jewel. She is precious. She is a commodity. Hold on to her. You see, you don't, you, you don't let commodities go. You don't throw commodities away for something that's cheap. You hold on to that. And so understand. And then you'll see that you begin to see just these words. And so I want you just to really think on these and and ponder these. In verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not have a lack of gain. What that means literally is this, is that this woman could be trusted. Now, in this culture, you may not see it as prevalent, but in that culture, it was a real struggle for a man to trust a woman. And here's why. Because in that culture, women did not have, in a sense, the value that you and I would perceive women to have now. I mean, obviously, women to me are very intelligent. They're very sharp. They're very trustworthy. uh, They're very able to do many things with their hands, with their minds, with their intellect, with their hearts. And so we look at that. But in that culture, a woman was not that. In a sense, a woman was a childbearer. And if you bore to me little girls, then you were of no value to me because I didn't need little girls. I need little boys. I need boys who are going to be courageous leaders, who are going to have strong hands, who are going to work with me in the field. That's what they wanted. And so their value was largely attested to what they did as a man in providing children. And outside of that, they were not of any value to people in that community in terms of in the gates and the marketplaces. They weren't going to be in political sectors. They weren't going to be large voices within the leadership of Israel. They were just women. And you go, this sounds so degrading and so sexist. And and honestly, it really was. But here's the deal. It didn't have to be that way when a man found a really great woman. But the deal is, is this. They weren't looking for great women. They were looking for someone, in a sense, that their beauty was, was fleeting, that they had 
vain and conceit, and they couldn't be trusted. And so many of the women weren't trusted by their men. And so that's what verse 11 says. It literally says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. It's the idea that she would be a trusted figure in the house. She would be the house despot. Now, the house despot is a term that's oftentimes referred to when you look at the word in the Greek, despotes, which literally means manager. Now, Jesus, he, he said it multiple times of people who were stewards over their own home, who were managers over their property, and you would see it time and time and time again. They were the chief despot. They were the one in charge of their house, of their property. But then Paul, he throws out a very endearing term and one that you will see in 1 Timothy, and in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, I want to counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. And in that word, he goes, I want women to be the what? Manager of their home. And he uses the word despotes, which literally means to lead in the home. Now, here's the deal. All of our lives, we've been taught in the church that a woman could be trusted, but she's not to be the leader of the home. That's not what the word says. It says that the woman should be the house despot, that she should be largely in charge of her home. Matter of fact, as you're going to outline this, if you don't agree with that statement right there in verse 11, a man who trusts in his wife to be the house despot, you won't agree with anything else that the writer of Proverbs writes here. Now you go, well, I don't understand, preacher, what you're saying. Okay, well, let me clarify. A man should lead his family in the instruction of the Lord. But in leading in the instruction of the Lord, he should have chosen a wife who could be trusted. If you don't trust your wife, you know what you do, boys? You lock all your stuff up in your gun safe, and you have a really big one. You know what I'm talking about? And you don't give her the combination. You don't share banking accounts with her. She has her money. You have your money. Hey, baby, when I need a little bit of the water bill, you kick in a little bit. But it's in a sense, you don't trust her. You don't trust her to manage things well. And in a sense, if you're having that set up in your household, what you're saying is, is that I believe that I know better than God to run my family. Because God did not design women merely to just have children and then somehow hold a job. God designed women to lead out in their home. Meaning, they, they're designed to pick paint colors. They're designed to move furniture at their disposal. They're designed to do multiple things in child rearing. They're designed, as you watch, to be trustworthy, to make decisions that they should make. All the time, my wife will call me in the middle of the day. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I know exactly when it's coming. She goes, baby, here's what I'm thinking for dinner. And she always gives me the out. But I just go, hey, babe, listen, if you cook it, I'll eat it. And if I don't like it, then guess what? I'm going to eat it anyway. Because I am largely out of that segment. And, and Kelly knows that she's the house despot. She knows that there are many things that she'll make decisions on that I don't have to. I was talking to a couple just this week, and we were just talking about finances. And I said, hey, who do you think is the chief manager at home of our finances? And they both pointed at me. And I said, you're wrong. It's my wife. She is in charge of every fund that we have. Why? Because she manages it well, but it's our God-given role. 
She knows what it is, and I trust her. I know she's not taking funds and putting them to the side in her sock drawer. I know that she's not cheating me. I know that she is trustworthy, and she's valuable, and she's a rare find. And I know that I can put my trust in her. Why? Because she's proven herself faithful over and over and over, and that's this type of woman. Matter of fact, why? Because she's the despot. She's the one who's not going to run off with all my stuff. Matter of fact, it's verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She is looking for ways to contribute to our family, not ways to manipulate or take things and run with them. So that's not the wife that is a contentious woman. Matter of fact, the writer of uh, this proverb, he, he reminds us in Proverbs 25, verse 24, it's better for, to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. That's not who this wife is. And so if you have to live on one end of the house because you don't like your wife, you're probably might have to reevaluate some of this and begin some conversations in your family. Because the deal is, is this, if you hide a woman of great value and worth and she does you good all the days of her life, then you will put your trust in her. And you will allow her to do things that maybe you wouldn't have thought that you would allow. You will allow her to move some of your furniture, right? Why? Because it's not your furniture, it's y'all's furniture. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax. Look at all the things this woman does. I want you to pay careful attention. She seeks wool and flax, linen. She works with willing hands. She manages her household. I mean, she goes and she gets wool and flax. She gathers the things that she's going to need in making thread so that she can make garments and coverings, as we'll see in a minute. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Like, this is the woman who she's willing to go half a day's journey just to get good choice meat. She didn't want to give you the grapes that are right over here across the alley. She wants to go and get you the best, most luscious, and most beautiful grapes. Now, men, think about this. That explains everything. Hey, baby, I'm going to go all the way to Dallas. I got a dollar coupon. I'm going to save on this Greek yogurt. And so, I... hold on. Let's, let's talk. Let's... <laughs> and that's when we just go, okay, baby, whatever. You're the house despot. I'm sure you've got something planned here. And you just let them go. Because in our natural tendency as men, we want to explain it, right? Okay, you're going to save a dollar on orange juice, 50 cents on yogurt, and another 25 cents on deodorant. But we're going to spend $25 going there and back. Yes, there ought to be multiple. Actually, it's Mother's Day, so men, shut up, right? But... That's what it means, though, to be a house despot. Now, but think about it from this perspective. Think about it from this perspective. Think about it as a blessing that she would be willing to be a manager of your household in such a way that she would be willing to try to save money in one area that she may could get you a better choice meat in another. Think about that she goes wherever. If, if, if it means i got to go to Central Market in Dallas to get the best coffee for our family, then I'm going to do it. Hey, if it means that I'm going to have to go here to get, you know, the best meat, or I'm going to have to go here to get the best bread, I'm willing to go wherever that it may take me to gather the things that put a delicious, savory meal on the table for our family. Like, men, when you, when you sit back at the end of an evening and you go, wow, that was really good, that's when you ought to be reminded that you can taste the Lord and see that he is good. And that he's not merely good in the, the uh, appetizing food that he puts, the delight that he gives to your taste buds, but that he's good in providing for you a woman who would take care of your needs and care about putting something on the table that you would like to eat. 
And that's really what my wife's desire is. She wants me to come home at the day, at the end of a day of ministry, and she wants me to like what I eat. And she cares about that. And that's what you and I should appreciate about them. Look at verse 15. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. A woman who desires to go afar to do the things that she believes that the Lord is committing her to do knows that you're not going to get it done if you wake up at noon. You're not going to get it done if you wake up at at 10 or 11 a.m. Or if you go, hey, I just like to sleep in. Because what you're going to notice about this woman is that she doesn't sleep in, nor does she go to bed early. And typically, that's what we like to say of ourselves in this culture. We either like to define ourselves as, hey, I'm a night owl, which means that gives us freedom to sleep in until noon. Or we say, hey, I'm an early riser. And then we make fun of people and we chastise them because we're up at 5 a.m., but we go to bed at 8 p.m. This woman is up early and she goes to bed very late. This woman is one, if you see, she rises while it's yet night. She provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She makes sure that she cooks something for her kids, that she, she provides for them before they ever go out the door. I'll tell you, the one thing that I share with the first service and I'll share with you guys about my mom is I was blessed with a mom who never once a day in my entire life that I lived under her roof did she not come in the night before and say, hey, what would you like for breakfast? And I'll tell you, my response was never Cheerios. It was never easy. Now that I look back, I'm like, I never gave my mom a break. It was like, hey, mom, I mean, I'm like, I like the homemade waffle sounds good. Um, hey, like, I, I'm, I'm game. Like, if you're up for it, mom, I would really like um, uh, biscuits and gravy. Um, can you put sausage in it? I really like sausage gravy. And, and, and I mean, I look back, and it was a delight to her to do that. And it was a part of the way that God wired her in her hospitality. It was a delight for her to cook breakfast for us. And she did it every single day until I went to college, every single morning. I can remember as a child waking up, even when I was seven, eight years old, and remembering those mem- mem- uh, memories. That was something that she did. Now, some of you in here are like, oh, I'm such a failure then, Right? <laughs> Because you're like, yeah, you'll throw out some Cheerios in a hurry, right? And listen, I want you to understand that this, again, is a goal. It's who we should aspire to be as women. It's not who you are. Think about it. As we're conforming to the image of Christ, in the patterns of Christ, we want him to guard our hearts and our minds. We want to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is a goal. It is a goal for me to be conformed to the image of Christ, but I fail daily. That's not an excuse for me to say I'm done and I'm not going to try anymore, but I aspire to be godly. I aspire to be more Christ-like, and as women, we should aspire to be like this woman. It's the model woman. It almost seems like it's off the charts. It's unrealistic, and that's what it's meant to be because we, we see this Scripture in all of Scripture because we realize that God has began a work in us, Philippians 2, and he wants to compare it could conform us and transform us. But he says, if I begin to work, I'm going to carry completion. And so it just means that he wants us to work. Look at this. Um, if you keep going, she, she considers a field and buys it. Look at verse 16. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Do what? No, there is no way my wife is going to have permission for that chunk of money to go and buy something without my approval. But this woman did. She considers a field and buys it. I think you'll see it here in a few moments 
that one of the reasons she didn't approach her husband about it is because she was making money to provide for them. But instead of her going, you know what, I've got my own business, and I'm doing this, and it give her an expense or a, an opportunity to, to do something different, what does she do? She takes it, buys a field, and invests back in her family. And here's why. Because instead of having to be a merchant ship who goes here and there and afar to gather stuff, she goes, what would it look like if I bought these two acres right next to us, and I began to put my maidens to work? And I said, yeah, hey, go get on that John Deere tractor. No, hey, go get behind that mule, and let's get to work. And we're going to plant a vineyard. And instead of us going to get luscious grapes, we're going to grow our own. And instead of us going to get good fruits and good veggies at the market, we're going to get our own. In a sense, she's taking what she had earned, in a sense, turning that back right into her family. She's very entrepreneurial. She is very committed. Matter of fact, because of that, because of what she could do, look at verse 17. She dresses herself with strength, and it makes her arms strong. She is a woman who is not lowly. She's, uh, she, she gets up, and you look at her, and you go, wow. She's in, her, in shape, and she's not in shape because she's a stay-at-home mom, drops her kids off at school, only to get up at 10 o'clock, go back, get, get her makeup on, and then you go, what does she do with her day? She's strong not because she has time to go to the gym. She's strong because she never stops. She's strong because she's working a broom and a mop. She's strong because she's out plucking things out of the garden. She's strong because day in and day out, she puts her hands to work. Wow, what a woman, right? Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. In uh, the New American Standard Version, it would simply say she senses that her gain is good, meaning she senses that what she's doing has value and merit. Matter of fact, it, it reminds you of a woman who works diligently and she has a side business, and that side business allows her to have an entrepreneurial spirit where she can go out and do things. She's not bound to what her husband slides to her. It's not, she's not bound to, hey, here's your $100 for the month, or hey, here's your $300. Don't, don't waste that. She has a trust in her. Verse 18 says that her lamp does not go out at night. Do you see this? Verse 19, she puts her hands to the staff and her hands to the holding the spindle. These are sewing and threading implements that allow her to make garments and to make bed coverings and all of those things. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Like she's always thinking about someone else. Matter of fact, think about it as parents. You ever get to the very end of a long day and go, golly, I'm just ready for this day to be over. Raise your hand if you like that's you. Hey, you can admit it. Like, we're not going to judge you or anything. Go ahead, admit it. That's me right here. <laughs> Some days you're just like, I'm so over it. But this woman considers it a delight to serve, and she never complains. And here's why. Because she knows that every single day of a worthy investment is not merely an earthly one, but an eternal one. She knows that though it doesn't seem like she's getting the riches, sometimes the rewards, sometimes the perks that many other women around her might get, that she does know that one day she has a reward, a crown that will never spoil or fade away. That's where she's laying up her treasure, treasures in heaven. And I want you to understand that as a single mom, or as a mom who's staying at home, or as a mom that's commendable in this area, please do not ever feel like I am less than because I'm not holding down a professional business job. Why? Because every investment you make in your home is worth an eternal investment. At the same time, just because you hold down a business job doesn't give you, as a mom, the right to hire a nanny and turn it all over to her. Listen, her maidens are not who raised her kids. 
her maidens are not the one who put the coverings on her bed or made garments for their children. And so we we tend to find in our culture one of two things. We're either a businesswoman and we aspire to do that and we're going to let somebody else help us in other areas or we seem to, to be a, a mom that stays at home. Either way, if we're not careful, we can look at each other and judge each other unfairly. As a business mom or woman and, and a mom, you can say, I don't understand how they stay at home. But listen, don't ever allow those words to come from your lips because you have taken one of the greatest chief responsibilities that God has given a woman. And in that sense, you have not just offended her, but you have offended God who has made a woman a house desolate. Now, what I'm not saying is that you should quit your job tomorrow and become a stay-at-home mom, Okay. <laughs> And I'm not saying that for two reasons. Maybe that is the call on your life, and maybe that's what God wants you to do, and your husband's talked you out of it. I pray that you would consider it and that you would invest there if that's the worthy cause that God wants you to be. Why? Because we give up a lot in this world as a Bactal family because we believe that the eternal investment's greater. I will also say this. As a single mom or a mom that stays at home or EUA, don't look upon the mom who is working out in the business field and judge her harshly. Because you can do both. But to do both, it means it's a large investment. It means it's lots of time. We can't be lazy and slothful. And so you still open your hand to the poor. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. Scarlet's a darker thread, right? So it allows warmth to stay. So you've got all of these things, right? But then look at verse 24. She makes her linen garments. She sells them. She delivers sash to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She lasts at the time to come. She knows that even when she grows old and weary, and even when the Lord calls her home, she lasts at the time to come. Why? Because I know that I'm going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to go, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And you're not going to reply, well, Lord, how was I so well done? I was just a, a, a mom who stayed at home. You are going to be worthy of praise. Verse 26, look on down. She opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching and her kindness on her tongue. She doesn't open her mouth frivolously. She doesn't speak harshly of other people. She's not the town gossip only trying to get a voice or somehow get a name for herself. Matter of fact, the only time she seems to talk is when it seems to be wise and when there's kindness on her tongue. She wants to be an encouragement and she wants to be edifying. Other than that, she doesn't seem to speak a whole lot. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Yeah, she's got all of the things covered, and she's got maidens to help her, but she'll, you'll never see her taking a break. Not because a break's not at her disposal, but because she doesn't believe that it's worth the time to take a break. So she keeps on pressing. And almost, almost you read this, and you're like, that doesn't even sound fun, does it? Right? I mean, anybody else, like you read that, and you're like, oh, man, that just seems rough. It's not if you realize that this is the chief God that God is delighted to give you. It's not rough. It's a blessing. She looks after the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Verse 28, and her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, he praises her. And I almost want to camp here for a whole message, but I've got just a second. Listen, there's going to be a day as a faithful mom that your seven-year-old, when he's calling for chocolate milk, doesn't see your faithfulness. There's going to be a day where your teenager despises you, resents you, says hateful things towards you, and you're not going to feel it. But there's going to be a day that if you'll be faithful, that he'll be shown faithfulness. And he'll look to you and he will say, thank you. 
Thank you. I didn't see it then, but I do see it now. And so be faithful to that because one day they will rise up and call you blessed. You may not even hear the words from the lips, but the day that you're laying in front of them and they wish that they could have that one more conversation, they're going to tell all the masses of people that I was blessed to have her as mom. And your husband ought to be blessing you. And husbands, this is the one thing I would say to you on this Mother's Day. Quit missing the moment to speak into your wife's life. If you only knew how many women just need to be reminded of a worth that's not fleeting. Yes, I get it. You were 17, high school sweethearts. You were both so beautiful and attractive, and you want her to keep that standard. Listen, it's not going to happen. But if you would have married her for a standard other than beauty externally, you would be pleased with her because she continues to give you the fruit of her labor, and that is something eternally and more than that also internally. Guys, we need to know that. Rise up and praise her. Why? Because she gives you a name even in the marketplace. Verse 29, many women have done excellently, but you as a lady like this surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She is set apart. And in verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let the works praise her in the gates. She is a faithful, virtuous woman. She's devoted to her husband. She's a great mother. She's strong. She's healthy. She's vibrant. She's a tireless servant. She's financially skilled and should be trusted. She's industrious. She's entrepreneurial. She's skilled homemaker. She's driven and determined. She's wise. She's virtuous. She's faithful. And we ought to let her lead our house. And we ought to quit being the arrogant, prideful men that claim to say, God put me in charge. Because God put you in charge of leading your family, shepherding it well, but, she, but he put her in charge of the house. And we ought to repent for all the ways that we have somehow thumbed her, pinned her down, and believing that we're the dictator of her house. Because if that's the case, you are living largely unbiblically. And you are not allowing your wife to be the woman God created her to be. And it ought to be a shame to us as husbands that she does not hear the words, I am faithful that you were faithful, well done, you good and faithful servant, and her look back and say, God, I wanted to be, but my husband wouldn't let me. And so God, may he give us the grace to allow us as husbands to look at our wives who are trustworthy and spur on to great conversation. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for today. We pray, God, that you would use this time to speak into our life, that you would encourage us and that you would help us to see that this woman is virtuous and that she is worthy of praise. God, I am so thankful that in this service that I have a wife who, in my opinion, is the picture of all of this. And I'm, I'm grateful for her. I pray, Lord, that to, today would not be the only special day that we set some time apart to celebrate her. But I pray because of her faithfulness that we would celebrate her in our house all the days of our life. So thank you, God, for women who live like this. And I pray today is not a blessing, or that is a blessing and not a curse, not a standard that seems so unachievable that we shouldn't even come. But I pray that it would be a great opportunity to spur on towards conversation and love and good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.